This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Did that law, the AML law of 2020, change or impact the way you guys have been doing business in any way? It, it did not impact us negatively. Rather, I think it it directed more businesses to us, more businesses who maybe thought that they didn't need a risk management company or a cash and transit company. Or This is Tom Fox, and welcome to the award-winning FCPA Compliance Report, the longest-running podcast in compliance. Today, I have with me Scott Sullivan. Scott is the CEO of Operational Security Solution, a company that helps manage cash risk and cash and cash transportation through compliance. It's a fascinating exploration of how compliance can make high operational risk manageable. I know you'll enjoy it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode, and I'm thrilled today to have Scott Solomon. Scott, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you, Tom. Great to be here. Scott, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Sure. Currently, I am the Chief Executive Officer of Operational Security Solutions. We are a risk management company that specializes in secure cash management and logistics. I've been with OSS since we incorporated, which is back in 2017. And before that, I had a series of jobs, approximately 25 years of primarily working for the federal government, dealing with large grants and contracts and engagements that supported the emergency responder and law enforcement communities. Scott, how large in terms of number of employees is OS? Sure. OS is a small business. We're incorporated in California. We have just over 30 full-time employees as well as access to additional independent contractors, in particular, armed couriers or armed guards. Could you describe, maybe by industry, your client base? Absolutely. That's a great question, because when we say we're a risk management company, you can go in many different directions as far as who we partner with. But our primary customer or partner is a financial institution. So when you look at secure cash management, management and logistics, it really boils down to our specialty is moving cash. And we have the ability and the compliance background to help financial institutions support their high-risk customers. So the first thing that we do is establish a relationship with a bank or a credit union and then push for access to their portfolio. So within that parameter, it's extremely interesting. And frankly, I don't get to talk to someone like yourself who has to deal with cash. So what I really wanted to visit with you about is how do you think through compliance around cash? Because most companies that I work with, either in regulated or non-regulated industries, they're going to tell us about books and records and internal controls and oversight around those controls and management override of controls, all related to electronic 
or other types of communications or transfers, but you're working with something that is as basic to the economy as there is yet presents an even higher set of risks. So maybe if I could ask you to step back and ask, how do you think through both doing business ethically and in compliance around your business? And then how do you implement that in a compliance program? OS was founded around compliance. It was a group of former law enforcement personnel, military special operators, and federal regulators that got together and saw an opportunity to initially just start by consulting. And as we started to engage financial institutions, we realized that they had what they called a cash problem. There are certain high-risk businesses that are forced to deal in cash. Examples would be casinos, also the legal cannabis industry, which is really booming throughout America. Because cannabis is still a Schedule One narcotic, they don't have access to all of the financial services as other businesses. And they are much higher regulated compared to just a traditional commercial business. We had the good fortune of having this compliance background, this compliance posture, in which all of our employees are BSA AML trained. So it gives us an ability to speak the same language as the compliance team at a financial institution, listen to them, see where they're having pain points, see where they're having difficulty, and support them. Everything from in a very transparent, methodical, and, of course, legal way to pick up their customer cash, validate the cash. And in most cases, we have the credentials to run that cash directly to the Federal Reserve Bank, whichever bank throughout America. So I think if we always stay firm in our compliance position, we ensure that our employees are trained and retrained, refresher trained every single year, OS pairing up with the compliance staff of a financial institution gives us the most solid position. What I find most interesting about that response, Scott, is typically I'm meeting with a business executive and I have to translate their cares or concerns, rather, into compliance speak. What I hear you saying is you're talking to compliance officers and you have to translate their compliance concerns into business speak. And absolutely, (laughs) I find that incredibly (laughs) great way to look at it. Yeah, fascinating. When you're sitting down with these BSA AML specialists, they they understand they have a problem. Can they articulate that problem to you? Or do you have to sometimes even help them understand the potential risk points in their overall process? Great question. And I think at least during the initial conversation, they are able to convey their concerns. Typically, it's not having enough staff or not having enough resources to effectively manage that portfolio. And what we do is we leverage best practices. And because cannabis, for example, in gaming, as another example, are very highly regulated, there are open and well-published regulations, rules, and even guidelines that recommend best practice. So on our end, we're able to listen to those bank personnel and immediately provide a Rolodex, so to speak, of resources. There are many compliance platforms out there that directly support bank activities. These are transaction monitoring platforms. There is software and systems that help onboard or vet these businesses. And then by teaming up with OSS, 
we have the security background as well to inspect, evaluate, and to continue to monitor during the life of that business relationship. So we work with the customer. We, it doesn't help us and it doesn't help the bank if the customer goes off the rails and becomes non-compliant. So we want to educate them. We'll step in for the bank and we will go out in the field and do a site visit. A bank's not sitting around with 80 extra staffers just wondering what they could do any day. Typically, people in financial institutions are very busy. So by providing that extra staff and expertise to really give them a thick folder that they can share with regulators enhances our relationship. So the bank is typically, I think by law actually, has to report suspicious transactions. It's generally defined as over $5,000. Are those rules similar for cash transactions, or do you have a different set of rules or guidelines around something that may be at least defined by the government as suspicious? You're exactly right. In essentially every case, when you're dealing with a legal cannabis business, those restrictions are even tighter. If you look at a typical financial institution and cannabis business engagement, they're going to monitor the ownership, any changes in ownership in the background. They're going to monitor activity at each site. And there is a lot of reporting that tracks the the transition of the cannabis product from the time that it's grown all the way through manufacturing until it's eventually sold. And so that flow of data needs to be reported to the government. Do you find that the people you're dealing with in cannabis really understand this elevated need for compliance and even more important for the transparency and auditability of their compliance process, literally from cradle to grave or from plant all the way to putting the money with the Federal Reserve? So, yeah, that's a great way to, to look at it. I would say the vast majority of the legal cannabis businesses that we engage don't really have a good perspective of compliance. In general, the industry is very educated in the benefits of the product, how to grow or how to market the product. But running a business sometimes is a secondary concern. And dealing with all of the compliance aspects is a secondary concern. And you have to think, just like the gaming industry, regulation translates into essentially financial burdens. So a lot of the legal cannabis businesses have to go through extensive licensing and permitting. All of it is very expensive. And then the ongoing cost and the tax of doing business makes those profit margins that I think when they were putting together a proposal or bringing together a a group to fund a venture, makes that profit a lot more slim at the end of the day. So getting through that first year or two of having one of these legal businesses is tough if if you didn't plan on having some cash reserves. Let me flip over to the gaming industry or the casino industry. And I come out of the anti-corruption compliance space. And frankly, we've always looked to the casino world as one of the leaders around AML work, simply because it was in their business interest to do. So could you talk about some of the challenges that you see in that space around your expertise with cash? Sure. I think the biggest challenge is helping them manage the volume of cash. Most casinos are are arguably the most experienced with cash management operations. And to be frank, most of our vault people 
the staff that work in our vaults, the tellers, the vault managers come from the gaming industry or, of course, from banking. But casinos, I would say, in general, are very focused on regulations. The other thing that we found is that they are very eager to be transparent, that, like you said, it's in their best interest to be open with regulators, to open the books, so to speak, and ensure that it doesn't start a relationship in which regulators think that they're hiding something. Because the gaming industry can be very lucrative, but it's only if you keep that relationship open with the regulators. In fact, one of my favorite sort of compliance stories, someone tried to launder, I think, about $30,000 through a major Las Vegas casino. The casino picked it up immediately and refused to do so. He went down the shopping mall to a watch store and did the same thing. And it was the watch store that had the enforcement action against him because, of course, they didn't have as rigorous immediate due diligence or vetting as the casino right. had. How do how does a casino do this on simply an ongoing transaction by traction, transaction by traction, transaction basis, given the cash nature of the operations? I think it's a it's a two-part system in which, just like we do for the legal cannabis industry, you align security and monitoring with the cash flow, the flow of the dollar. So you try to pair those two sides up. Casinos, of course, have extensive video monitoring. They have very advanced, I guess, patron tracking systems. A lot of people think of them as reward systems, but it's also a way to to monitor the level of activity, cash flow, when cash is coming in, and when cash is going out. That combined with some of the best security experts in any industry, definitely in the U.S. and I would say throughout the world as well. By making those two teams, the cash operations and the security teams, essentially seamless, you know, they can essentially think what the other side is thinking at the same time. That's how they keep that ship tight. You mentioned that as part of your process, it could be literally delivering the money to the Federal Reserve. I'd like to focus on that component of your work. How do you interact with the Federal Reserve? Is it simply going to the bank with a large amount of cash and delivering to them while the amount of cash is verified? Or is there a deeper or different type of relationship between OSS and what I'm going to call the end user? I would say that it is largely the same as any conventional business. The difference is that those cash and transit companies that typically service America's commercial enterprises can't service the legal cannabis industry. There are restrictions based on insurance. There's FDIC. There are other constraints that the American tax dollar is not going to support when it's still a Schedule One narcotic. That creates companies like OSS or boutique cash and transit providers that can go through the hoops to get the license and the permits to support that activity. There's also guidance from the National Credit Union Association, NCUA, that tells those credit unions and also state chartered banks in states where it's legal that if you're going to look at best practice, you really don't want a business that's forced to primarily deal with cash to come into a local branch with hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash. It, pre it presents a burden on the staff in that bank, but also it's a security risk for just anybody going in to cash a $10 check. 
the person next to them has duffel bags with tons of cash that they're forced to deal with. So their best practice is vet a legal, fully licensed and permitted cash and transit company, make sure you do the due diligence, then get that company to go out to the customer pick up the cash, and then take it to a secure location where we have vaults, one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast. We validate the money, we validate the count, and then we package it according to the Federal Reserve Banking requirements. Then we load it back into our vehicles and we make runs to the Federal Reserve Bank. The nice thing with our model is that we have very high levels of insurance protection. We've never lost or, more importantly, misaccounted for a penny. So from the time that we go into that business and we secure the cash in one of our containers, it's under our insurance. So in almost every financial relationship, financial institution relationship that we have, they provide what they call provisional credit. So once OSS picks it up, we validate the count, that business gets credit in their checking account or whatever commercial account they might have. And then after the fact, we'll make the run to the Fed Reserve. And then we are just like the big commercial CIT couriers. We go through the processes required to securely enter the Federal Reserve Banking Branch and make a deposit and get a deposit slip. It's actually uh, straightforward. Let me change the focus just a little bit to the anti-money laundering law of 2020. In the AML world, that was a huge step forward because it was the first change in the BSA or Banking Secrecy Act since the Patriot Act was passed in the wake of 9-11. And I wanted to ask, did that law, the AML law of 2020, change or impact the way you guys have been doing business in any way? did not impact us negatively. Rather, I think it it directed more businesses to us, more businesses who maybe thought that they didn't need a risk management company or a cash and transit company or a security company, even if it's, even if it's just from a consulting perspective, changed their mind. So more questions came up. People were wondering, are we still going to be in compliance? So it did drive more business our way. Scott, let me see if I can characterize some of the things I've heard over this podcast. I thought it was going to be a podcast on risk management of cash, but it was a podcast about a risk management process for financial institutions and businesses that are cash heavy in a way that not only allows them to do business with a risk management strategy in place, but with transparency and auditability. Would all of that be a fair assessment of what OS brings to the table? That's a great assessment, and I'd love to use that as a tagline in some of our marketing materials. So, yeah, you're spot on. Scott, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, OS, or really any of the topics we've touched on, what would be the best place or places for them to go? Sure. The best place to to contact OSS is through our website, and that is opsecsolutions.us. So O-P-S-E-C, solutions, with the S at the end, dot U-S. That's where you can find out information on our services, what we do. And you can reach out and somebody from OSS can contact you to answer your questions and look at ways that, that we can support your business. Well, Scott, I wanted to thank you, and I hope that we can continue this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. Always great, and I look forward to speaking with you again. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning FCPA Compliance Report. 
We have several new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We have Fox on Podcasting, where I go meta and talk about podcasting. We have Compliance and AI, where I talk about the intersection of compliance and AI. We have From Last to First, the John Assetti story, which is my first biography in the podcast format. Check out all of these where great podcasts are listened to. I hope you will subscribe, rate, and review all of these podcasts. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.